Welcome back, gentlemen. No, ladies, because we just established last week no one listens to this podcast <laughs> in the female domain. So just just men. Gentlemen, welcome back. Not going to ask you how you're doing, but what's going on? Oh, that's, that, that's another tough die. question. <laughs> it's, just, it's a hard-hitting question here to start the show. Kids are out of what, school. What is going on? I mean, just literal survive. Survival mode. The holidays are almost yeah. here and over. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got the entire family coming to our uh, residence here for the holidays. My brother, his wife, their son, my sister, their her four kids, my parents, um, and then my mother's uh, uh, brother and sister with their children. Adult, they're all adults, but I mean, they're all coming. So, how many people? Ah, 20 plus. Yeah, nice. maybe 30. Uh, that's just one day, Christmas Eve. They're, they're all going to be here one day for Christmas Eve. But, um, yeah, the whole family, my, 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 my siblings and their children and my parents are going to be here for three or four days. Yeah. So, I mean, we got our happy face on. Let's go. It's holidays. Peace. Bless your heart. <laughs> Speaking in true Southern fashion. Yeah, I'm learning. You bless your heart. That's okay. exactly what my grandmother would say. Rest in peace. She she passed away 95 years old last year. We're going to celebrate her this Christmas. She's She would say, oh, Lord, bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not what my L-A-W-D. Lord, Lord, oh Lord, bless your heart. I would get yeah. something like, "Why don't you guys come eat?" I didn't do this for my health. That would be kind of something that I would get. <laughs> Jay, I bet your grandma made good chicken and biscuits. Manja, oh, she Manja. made the best, everything, the best fried chicken, uh, yeah. mashed potatoes, green Love beads with ham hocks. So uh, you, you name it. She made it. She made oh, everything. It was all the. It was the best that you could possibly eat. She was an amazing, greens. amazing cook. Um, that's when I want to say amazing cook. I I mean like in the you know, I guess the Virginia, you know, sentiment of a cook. Like I mean, she's not a chef, but she could cook sure. anything yeah. that, that you would want to eat in Virginia Southern comfort. Southern comfort food, she had it down. I mean, I've never eaten so many peas that I thought were so good. Like, peas are not good. But she made the mashed potatoes so well with so much salt and butter that when we just doused them all, you know, doused all the peas in the mashed potatoes, it was like, it was easy. It was like, oh, I'm getting, I'm getting some, some greens in here, but I'm eating mashed potatoes. It's great. Just faking everybody out. So it's when you disguise medicine for a dog and you stick it in the yeah. food or whatever, you know. Yeah, I mean, down the hatchet I mean, it goes. Didn't even know. Pretty much what I am. Um, <laughs> sure. I mean, I'm a dog. I will eat. I will eat green beans and peas and and lima beans with mashed yeah. potatoes with it's tons of butter. Right and salt. I love lima beans. The only thing I really don't like, I eat them on New Year's Day, is collard greens. I do not mm. like collard. Greens. That might be the only food. That I like shy away from. 
Love me some collard greens. I've never had them in my life and never will. Oh, you should. You should. They're good. Uh, it's kind of, I just, it's more of a, a boycott kind of thing for me. You it's should, well, tech. you should come over to the house Gr- because there, there will, there will be some collard greens and there will be some llama beans, peas, mashed potatoes, pierogies. You guys don't even know what pierogies are. I don't, are, know, pierogies. I do. I don't yeah. know what pierogies Hold on. Yeah, we're. We're, we've got some Czechoslovakian heritage, and we make pierogies every okay, Christmas. Yeah, yeah. yeah, some with sauerkraut, some with uh, cheese and mashed potatoes, and they are awesome. Mike, what do you got against grits? Nothing. I just, I, I don't, grits. I don't, I don't know. I just had them once in my life, and they were terrible, and I've just never had them again. Well, you didn't oh, have good grits. He didn't, have, you didn't have good grits then. Yeah, he didn't have good grits. Hundred <laughs> percent. Oh. Yeah, you could put anything in grits. You can put bacon and cheese, oh. put jalapenos, hell, jelly, fish and grits, shrimp and grits, jelly and grits, it's like jelly. Oh gosh, if you had jelly and grits, it's that's awesome. You can do awesome. Grits are just an amazing food. <laughs> so good. What's a New England food? What's a New England food that we should we should love but we don't love or we haven't tried? See, I just think our food is so good that it's kind of made its way everywhere now. So, <laughs> collards I mean, you, have no, not made its way to Massachusetts. I mean, I was hoping you'd say like a New England clam chowder or something like that, which which, which, which which is yeah, everywhere, which is everywhere. You it's get, everywhere. You You're right. It's place. everywhere. I mean, they've they've you know they've got their own can with their its own name on it. Like, and I've yeah. had it. I mean, everyone's had Boston baked beans, even though they're I don't even eat those. Those suck. Um, <laughs> Well, the best New England clam chowder you're going to get is like out of a Campbell's can. No, yeah, that's not right. <laughs> and you haven't had good clam chowder then. <laughs> uh, just poking the bear. Just poking the bear. Oh, uh, shit. What are you guys drinking since we're on the food dining topic? Uh, I've, got a, I've got a 1792 bottled and bond Virginia ABC store pick. I actually one in the ABC store, the lady brought them out and she said, look, she's like, we've got these or they're supposed to be released tomorrow. Do you want one? I'm like, sure. Is it limited release? Can I get two? She said, sure. I said, okay, well, give me wow. two. I'll Is this part of the drop from this past Saturday? No, it was before this day before the drop, but I don't know if it was tied into that, but. Either way, I was there. She she brought them out and she let me buy two and it, and I was like, great, I'll do it. And it's awesome. Did you go to the drop? Did you try to? No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm I'm done waiting in line for for <laughs> bourbon. I'm not doing that. Like, yeah. I, there's too many things that I like that are cheaper and that I can buy them. And if I get lucky and there's a drop and I just pop by the ABC store, I'll buy it. But I'm not. I'm not waiting in line for 60, 70, 80 people. Yeah, I heard there was yeah. a, this was a big one. There's some good stuff, but I uh, it's all, they're always on Saturdays, so I can't. I, I yeah. usually work on Saturdays, so it's like, hey guys, like I'm gonna go wait in line for an hour and a half, and then I'll be back in a couple hours. You know, no so, thanks, so, no. But I did, I did go back on. I went Sunday because some guys were saying that there were some stores that still had some leftover stuff, and the one near oh. my house it had a couple uh, bottles of. I forget what year whistle pig, but whistle pigs, heavy rye. And I'm just, I'm not a rye guy. So, and it was like $150 and I was like, I'm good. No, I, walked in, I walked in the store around my, around the corner from my house and they normally just don't have a good selection. 
and I walk in and behind the counter, I see Weller 12, I see Stag. Um, Weller 12? How much was the Weller 12 down there? Hold on. Here's the problem. So immediately I walk over because I always look behind the counter, see if they ever, because they never have anything good. I'm like, they, I finally hit the lotto. I got here. The truck <laughs> must have just left. I'm like, hey, so you got a couple of good bottles back there. Let's. What, what are we doing here? Like, oh, those are a part of a raffle for for our customers that come in a lot and they have to pay. And uh, I'm sitting there going, well, wait a second. I'm I'm here a lot. What what are we talking about? Well, are you a member of this club? And, that? and I'm like, no, I just want to buy that bottle. Right there. Goes, <laughs> I just well, want that we, bottle. If we call and they don't answer it, we'll make it available to the public. I'm like, well, okay, so you have one bottle. What are the odds that you decide to not make it available to the public and I'm standing in front of you right then? <laughs> I was so frustrated. I went and got Can we call them right now? If they don't answer, I'll buy it right now. <laughs> yeah, right? like I was I was floored, absolutely floored. I, it went from like so excited to immediate flaccid, just immediate flaccid. <laughs> Uh, was, <laughs> from six to midnight to midnight to six it was just like oh, oh i finally i'm here at the right time because i've asked before i'm like hey when you guys get good stuff they're like normally tuesdays late in the month and i'm walking in the store i'm like wait a second it's a tuesday kind of late in the month we'll see what we got <laughs> i walk in i see it i'm like finally i hit the jackpot nothing didn't do anything for me uh, weller i mean you can't you can't beat it i know i was talking to my Brother, we're trying to figure out Christmas gifts, and he is—he's got a connection for a bottle of Weller One Hundred Seven, uh, and he was—he was—it's pretty expensive. So he was like, "Hey, do you do you want to split this for your Christmas gift?" And I'm like, "Yes, that sounds wonderful." And I'm like, I was thinking back, I was like, "This is the first time that I've actually bought my own Christmas <laughs> gift." It's just kind of, like, but it's, it's worth it. Kind of, just kind of. <laughs> It's worth it. I was like, I didn't even think twice. As soon as he sent the text, I was like, absolutely. That's a great deal. Let's do it. And I was like, wow, I'm actually buying my own Christmas gift. But yeah, it's I just, worth it. I just got gifted a bottle of that. Shout out Chuck Walter, <laughs> podcast listener. Uh, wow. Good for you. Yeah. This is the best time of year for me. I get a lot of, I get a lot of gifts from the members. You just restock. I've gotten like six bottles of bourbon already as gifts. It's fantastic. That's great. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm I'm drinking. uh, What am I drinking tonight? I'm drinking Castle and Key. How is that? I actually have not had that yet. So it's really good with a little water. Oh, it's pretty hot. It's not even so much hot. It's just there's way more way more flavor when it's when you just put a little bit um, a little water in. It's just it's I don't know very alcoholy without it. You know, yeah. So it's it's kind of kind of green green taste to it. Yeah, yeah. What um, which one did you get? Did you? It, there's a couple uh, different it's batches. The, it's like, the the blue label, the weeded. Oh, okay, nice. That was a gift as well a while back, but I hadn't dipped into it in a while, so um, that's good. Yeah, a little little water, and it really kind of opened it up, and it's much better now. Nice. It's only a hundred. It's only hundred seen... proof, I think. Yeah, it's not it's not crazy. I've seen it a couple of times. I mean, the rating's not not terrible. No, I mean it's no. It's, I shouldn't say it's not terrible. It's good. It's a, it's a you know, expert rating on Distiller app is ninety one. I mean, it's it's it, they've got some positive things to say about it. So, I've I've I've, I've seen that a couple of times and I just haven't come across it. So, 
I don't know which batch you have, but the, both of them are, are rated pretty high. So that's cool. I, I'd be interested in trying that. Um. All right, let's let's get into a little golf. This is a golf podcast. Let's talk some golf. Talk some G. Uh, we'll G. start with. I guess we'll start PNC. Uh, LT Gray was in action. Uh, I, I don't. All honestly, I watched a little bit here and there over the weekend. I had a fairly busy weekend, so I didn't watch a ton of golf. Caught a million clips on social media. It was the Charlie and Tiger, and now Charlie Tiger and Sam show with his yeah. daughter caddying for him this year. Rightfully, um, so. Rightfully so. Longers, the Longers win. Fifth time for Bernhard Longer. Uh, what? What? Let's start Tiger, Tiger first. Any any more thoughts? I mean, obviously this is only a two round and hit and giggle scramble. I, I did see him hit a bunch of decent wedge shots. I feel like his wedge game was getting a little more dialed in. Wedge game was getting better. The biggest thing that I saw was he had a noticeable limp after round one. Uh, okay. He was on the putting green and doing just kind of chatting it up and everything. He had a noticeable limp that I that I will say that I was in a hotel watching it and the person sitting next to me who wasn't a golfer, man, he's really limping. And I was just like, all right, someone who doesn't even have a clue what's going on notices that a guy's limping, um, which is not hard to necessarily pick out. But sure. on the backside of that, uh, he did have a noticeable limp after round one, which makes me question, you know, what is his stamina like with that leg? You know, how long he's, is he going to be able to? Yeah, he still says he's pain-free. So it didn't look pain-free. I'll say yeah. that. Yeah, it didn't look pain-free. No, it his gate is his gate is really it looks awkward. It is awkward without question. And maybe that's maybe that's a flexibility thing in in the ankle and being able to you know with flexion and being able to push off the ankle. But it well, definitely you did have, you did have look, a part of it fused in the ankle yeah. with his last well, surgery. So yeah, I mean, which is which is fair. I mean that that's to be expected, but it it's noticeable. So you know. I, again, if he says he's pain free, that's great. You know, I don't know if he's if he's made a, <laughs> if he's made that comment in and and months past, and he's trying to, you know, honor that and and to stand up for it and like kind of, you know, he doesn't want to be honest about the fact that it still hurts. I mean, I know it still hurts. Like I don't I don't care what the what the hell he says. Like if you fused a bone together. Uh, especially for a, a joint that's that mobile, like I know it still aches. Like and, and maybe it doesn't ache as much as it did, and that's why he's like, "Hey, it, it doesn't bother me." He's he's like, he keeps saying like, uh, "Other things bother me." You know, obviously if he, he's had, you know, fusion of of vertebrae in his back and and so forth, and those things bother him. Um, you know, knee surgeries and so forth. So, um, but I don't know. Yeah, it, it it definitely looks awkward, like you said, McLean. He, he, it it doesn't look comfortable, but I don't know. I mean, I thought he had some good shots. I mean, I was, you know, I, the the speed was still there. I mean, he still he still hit some he ripped some drives out there, which I think is important. And like you said, the the wedge play, he started to hit some better wedge plays. Or I shouldn't say he started to hit some better wedges. Um, and we talked about that last week. I think you know. Last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was the Hero World Challenge, he, we knew that uh, he was going to be a little 
inconsistent with wedge play, distance control, some of the pitch shots, the speed control with the putter. And and we all commented on that. And that's exactly what happened. The longer the club, the more speed that's involved, the less we're going to see the inconsistencies. He drove the ball pretty long last week. He still hit some good drives this week. Long irons, mid irons, still really good when you get to the short you know, finicky touch shots around the greens, you know, pitch shots, small wedge shots, uh, lag putting. He still struggled, you know. I mean, that's what we saw. I mean, it got better. I, I think it certainly got better. And if he if he continues to play and he plans to play once a month leading up to the Masters, then, you know, hey, at plus 10,000 right now, which is what he's at, I'd, yeah. I'd put – I'd put 10, 15, 20, 100 on him. I didn't, uh, I didn't. With, the, with the smallest projected, with the projected smallest field in the history of the Masters. I shouldn't say history. That, that may not be the case, but in a long time, projected 77 man field. Um, that's the smallest in the last 50 years that I know of. It could have been smaller way back, but in the last 50 years, this is the smallest field. Anytime that field drops in the Masters, Tiger's clout goes up and his odds go up. He just knows that course better than anybody. I don't care if he's on one leg, fuse back, fuse ankle. <laughs> if he if his ball speeds up, I I I have a hard time not betting on this guy. I'm Especially if he can yes. get like two two events ahead of time in. If he if he can play, if he can play one event in January, one event in February, one event in March, maybe two events. If he can get four events leading up to the to the Masters, I, I mean, I I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy, but God, I, I I'm I'm not betting against that guy. If he if he says he's confident and he feels good, then I'm I'm not betting against that guy. I'm. I'll put some shillings on that guy. Yeah, I didn't love yeah. his putting stroke this past weekend. I didn't, you know, maybe because I just watched him and every part I watched him hit, he missed. But I didn't, I didn't love it. I felt like his start line was a little inconsistent. I felt like his speed was off. His rhythm looked a little off. I don't know. I was a little surprised at that just because one thing he, he can do. I mean, he always hit three or four greens in his backyard and doesn't take any effort to putt, like even on – you know, going through all this rehab and stuff. So I was, I was a little surprised. I don't know if that's just kind of, you know, a little bit of nerves and, you yeah. know, under the gun, not like this is the biggest event in the world, but um, I don't know. It just, it didn't seem as free flowing as it typically does. It has in the past. Well, I think also we've gotten to the point now where we're so used to watching him make putts that we get surprised when he missed because he's arguably the greatest one of the greatest putters of all time, not necessarily stat wise, but certainly under pressure and with the short putts. Um, he was one of the guys that always converted when he need to needs to. And I think a lot of that comes from the history of being in that situation and understanding what that pressure feels like. And I think there's definitely some rust to, to wash off there. I think ultimately we're starting to see some rust get out of his short game. This, the wedge shots that he hit were fantastic. And it was amazing to watch Charlie stick it in there and then Tiger put it just inside of him a couple times or even vice versa a couple times on the backside of that. The long bunker shot that they both hit and both hit inside of a foot was absolutely incredible to see two guys back-to-back do that and not to mention father-son step up back-to-back and hit 30-yard flyers all the way to the hole and just juice them. 
Uh, if Tigers didn't spin back, it would have been inside of Charlie's. I think Charlie was a big story out of, coming out of this week. I mean, not to change the subject, but wow, does that guy swing look good? Um, he's got speed, speed, man. Justin Thomas said right because Charlie might be out driving me at this point. Um, the guy's fifteen. Justin Thomas is, as we've spoken on here before, one of the top players in the world, and he hits the ball really far, pound for pound. I mean, he's he's a long hitter. Um, he's not the longest out there, but he's not, not a short hitter by any stretch of the imagination. So to have a kid who is 15 hitting it the same, or if not farther, and we all know, um, in the next five years of Charlie's life, he is going to get a lot stronger. Well, he a drove two lot. greens today that were well greens. over 300, 300 yards. Yeah. Flew it over 300 on multiple occasions. Um, he obviously is very confident with the driver. I mean, I don't remember the last time I saw someone recoil and then wave at the golf ball. That was that was a, a goat move if I've ever seen one. Um, but I didn't. I hated that. I thought it was. Ridiculous. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. But he's 15. It's just one of those situations. It's fine. Yeah, he's 14. I, I, I get it. Is he 14? I think he's 14, right? Jeez, oh Pete, and he's going to get even stronger. But as a kid, you know, I kind of it's like if he was older, I really wouldn't like it. Him being his age, doing it's like. All right, I get it. Get your swagger on, kid. You know, I I, I get it. I I, I like. It. I didn't. I didn't like it, and I don't think there's any reason or excuse to give him a a pass. Like I I I don't know. I just thought it was ridiculous. I was like, <laughs> dude, dude, don't do that, dude. You you're already you're already you already have a leg up on everybody. Don't be that. Don't be that kid. Don't be that cocky, overly arrogant kid. Just hit your drive. If you hit it three hundred yards, great. Like you, people already love you just because you're Tiger's son. Don't, don't, I don't know. I, I it was a big turnoff for me. I, I didn't like it at all. I hated watching it. I was like, oh my God, here we go. We, I we didn't had like to watching watch, it either. We had, to, but. we had to watch him limp around last year because he sprained his ankle doing something. And now this year we have to watch him wave to his golf ball as he, as he hits a drive. Like, I don't know. Not good, not good TV for me. Like I'm yeah, sure it's going to be, it's like going to be it, tough but... for that kid to stay humble. I mean, with what he has, who his dad yeah. is, he has everything at his disposal that he wants in really any facet of life. But obviously, golf. He's already, he's already playing the tailor-made prototype driver in his bag. I noticed. You know, hell, it, there's rumors now that switching to Grayson. He signed a deal with Grayson. They pulled it off the. It was a post from Larry Fitzgerald, like "Welcome to Team Grayson," and then they pulled it down. Yeah. Um. So he's signing, probably signing an NIL deal with Grayson. Like I read an article, uh, interview with his high school coach. There's like paparazzi at all his golf matches, and like you know, Tiger's gonna be there. It's um, yeah, it's it's even when Tiger's not there, there's still like a bunch of paparazzi. I know they're probably hoping, but still, like it's yeah. I I mean it's it's tough, right? He's 14 years old. If you think back when we were 14 years old, what the fuck were we doing, like? You yeah, know. but Tiger was going through the same thing when he was fourteen, like sure. literally. Yeah, yeah. And, and if not, if not more so. I mean, Tiger was the only, the only like phenom at that age. Sure, but there you wasn't know, social the media part. to see. Yeah, we didn't move. have social media, but yeah. we had. I mean, that that that's what make that's what makes it the you know that makes the focus more intense on what he did at that time in the in the early nineties. You know, ninety, ninety one, ninety two you know, a 14, 15 year old kid, like the, that's it. You had newspapers and you had TV, 
telecast. Um, um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, he's a good, he's a good player. And, you know, I, I don't know the kid. I haven't, I haven't met him. I, you know, his, the interviews that they've done, I, I, it, it uh, to me, it feels like Tiger's like, I was, I spent the, my teenage years and my early twenties being so polished and, and so reserved. Um, he's like, okay with his son being super candid and it's a, it's a bit of a turnoff for me as a, as maybe more of a traditionalist when it comes to, you know, talking to the media and being, being, being respectful to um, questions asked, like, you know, one comment they, you know, they asked uh, Charlie, you know, how did you, how did you play this week? And he's like, well, we're, we're eight under par. Um, I, I didn't miss a fairway and we're still eight under par. So we suck at putting. And I'm like, if my son was up there at 14 years old and he <laughs> yeah. said, I, you know, we suck at putting, I would, I wouldn't chuckle like tiger. Now, granted, I'm, I'm not worth a billion dollars you know, I don't know, but as a dad, <laughs> um, and my son said, we suck at putting. I'd be like, dude, chill out, you know, cut it out. Like, don't act like an idiot. Like the people don't want to hear you, yeah. you know, act like that, you know? Be respectful. They're asking you a question. You know, just give them an honest answer. You don't have to be a, a dickhead about it. But that's the way it came across to me. And and I I don't know. I just I don't know where this is going to go with him and all the attention that he's getting. He's going to get the attention because he's Tiger's son. Um, but I'm not seeing Tiger like kind of you know you know reining in a little bit. It's like he's just kind of letting him go with it. And I'm like, all right, well, that's whatever that's kind of the way that you've done everything so um you do whatever you want whenever you want um so yeah we'll see he did he did make the comment and i, and I'm, I don't know if you you guys were going to talk about this or not but he did make the comment that the one thing that he that it does irritate him about you know his kids and and charlie uh, uh, first and foremost is that he he hates that he stares at his phone all the time which i thought was a, a good comment so yeah. he's at least at least connected enough to know that like, you know, can't sit there and look at your phone all day. And every parent that's got a, you know, five to 15 year old kid that understands like, Hey, we need you to get out and, you know, be active, be, you know, be observant and, and take a look at your surroundings, you know? And I think tiger's words where there's, it's a beautiful world out there, you know, take a look, you know, don't sit there and look at your phone all day. Um, which we're all guilty of a sure. little bit. You know, we use our phones for, you know, for information and media and so forth. But, you know, there's a lot of things going on in the world that are not wrapped into the phone. And and that that was one cool thing that I saw, given the fact that he just let his son just kind of, in my opinion, spew off at the mouth. Like, I didn't I didn't love the comments from from Charlie. Um I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I also think there's a fine line between calling him out too much in a public format. Um, yeah. You know, I think he had to kind of take it and he tried to laugh it off a little bit, but my bet is that there may have been a conversation that happened in the car. I hope so. In the car ride home. No in one the plane, in the private plane ride home. And, and, yeah. 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 Not in the car ride in the private, private plane ride yeah. home hour, or the or, or private limo limo home. Yeah, it's an hour and a half by car, 12 minutes in the jet. And, yeah, and I'm sure he's a teenager, so he's going to be a little irrational and, and, and like knowing. We all were. Yeah, we all were. And knowing when to say, you know, 
say certain things and when not to say certain things. And hopefully they have that, those conversations and, you know, but uh, at the same time, I get it. You know, you're, you're tiger and your son is, is going to be in the limelight. Then you need to, you know, you need to, you need to have those conversations earlier than, than other well, people because, because of the situation. So I also uh, think that there's a, there's a feeling of, Tiger wanting him to have that confidence and swagger a little bit because Tiger had it. Now, I will say Tiger at this age was winning more golf tournaments than Charlie was. Uh, a lot more, like everyone. Oh, like yeah. Every tournament. So, and I just dug into some rankings. Um, Cameron Kuchar is actually ranked higher than he is. Um, just I've been going on a deep dive here on the side screen while listening to you guys. But it's I, I can I don't know how difficult it is. And as a parent, we all three are parents here. It's very difficult to judge other parents, especially when the situations are so different. So when it comes down to it, I don't know how I would be in that format. It's tough for me to judge exactly the way Tiger handles it because I'm not in that situation. Um, on the backside of that, it's easy for us to Monday morning quarterback it. And there's certain things that we like and don't like. I mean, the kid's play is pretty solid. He hits a lot of great shots. He might not be scoring as well as he should be at this point, but he does shoot some good rounds. I did look up his history, and he has posted some rounds in the 60s. Um, he's posted some rounds in the 80s as well. But on the backside of that, you know, we got to understand Charlie's under a lot of pressure too. Um, as yeah. growing up the son of another uh, successful golf professional, but not near to – obviously not near to Tiger's extent – I certainly felt a lot of pressure as a kid yeah. um, to play well and perform well in certain events. And I was on, and I mean, my dad was a great player, but it's not even in the ballpark of what Tiger and Charlie are going through. So, you know, I don't know how much that affects him. Um, sure. A little bit. Yeah. I'm sure there's something there. I mean, the the pressure that, t that Charlie has to feel. And the other thing that we don't know is how bad does Tiger want that for him? I'm sure he does want it for him, but what does that really look like? You know, what's that situation like? Is this something where Tiger's pushing him and applying that pressure? Is this something where Tiger's saying, kid, you've got no pressure. Just go out and, and play well. You'll never work a day in your life. Um, if this doesn't, if this isn't what you want, you don't have to do it. We we don't know what those conversations are like. And I'm sure there's yeah. times where Charlie chies away from it. And I'm sure there's times where he tries to really, you know, get engulfed in it. So, but you, you know, with, with, on that note, and I agree with you 100%, I think. But when I listened to the the interview of Annika Sorensen's son, who it was in t almost in tears at the end of his interview, and, and you're, you're talking to a kid that was raised by the greatest, the greatest uh, woman golfer to ever live, in my opinion. I mean, I don't think there's anybody that, in my opinion, I don't you can go down the line. Like, Annika Sorensen is the best woman golfer ever. Um, and, and this kid was, he was just so enamored with the fact that he got to play with his mom on TV. Like he was like, this is the best week of, of my life. Like to be able to play with my mom. And he was like, I don't even care how I'll play like, like a total 180. I mean, and I would, he, I would say he that definitely he had training. Compare. What's that? He definitely had training from his mother. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Maybe, but he I even, he but, even thanked the but, sponsor. 
Great. Good for him. <laughs> but I, I think that, I mean, it, it didn't seem uh, it, it disingenuous. I mean, I, I thought he no, was genuine. Didn't. I mean, yeah. the kid was like no, in tears. Was awesome. Like he was like, he really loved playing on TV with his mom and he was just so grateful and thankful that he was there. And if he, if he, if it was a, a big, you know, marketing ploy, then God damn, that kid should go to Hollywood because he, <laughs> he had me. I mean, the kid was crying is, I mean, Annika was crying and it was like, I mean, the, the, the kid was really, he was excited and, and happy to, to play with his mom on TV. And he, he obviously he, didn't play as well as, as he wanted to play, but you know, he was excited about being, having the opportunity to play with his mom. I mean, it, again, his mom is like, it, it, like we said, is, is one of the best, the best uh, women golfer, women golfer, women golfers of all time. And, and, and to be able to play on that stage you with her, he was, he was pretty pumped about it. So I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool. And, and, and you could c- compare the two kids, obviously, Annika did her thing uh, on the LPGA tour and Tiger did his thing on the PGA tour. You know, you, you could, you could debate, you know, back and forth, you know, who made a bigger impact. Obviously, you know, Tiger has made an enormous impact in golf in general, but I think Annika has done a, a, as much as she could do uh, when it comes to the LPGA Tour and in terms of playing, when the first women to play on a, in a PGA Tour event and all the, the majors that she she has won, so uh, you know, again, there's two schools of thought there. You've got one who is uh, breeding the confidence in and a young golfer in that con- that swagger, maybe that cockiness, and then you've got another who is maybe condoning more. Uh, oh, I don't know what the right word is. Maybe acceptance or presence, maybe to just be thankful for where they are. And and you know, I don't, I don't know. It's just it's kind of unique to see the two. That's all. I, I just it was weird because they they popped up on my social media feed back to back. It was like Tiger and then Charlie giving his interview, and then it was Annika and then her son. And I was like, wow two completely different views on supreme golf with parents that were the best of the best. And there's two different outlooks on how to handle this. I'm not saying one's better or not, you know, but it's just different, you know? Uh, I mean, I think there's something, something to be said for, you know, you know, kind of pushing, pushing your child and, and, uh, and, and to a, a, a state of confidence, you know, and I know Earl did that with Tiger, um, and he kind of basically said, you're going to, you're going to be successful. You're going to be one of the greatest players of all time. Um, and he's obviously proven that. Um, and then there's a- another school of thought with the- there's other parents that, you know, like a Tom Brady or somebody like that, that, that didn't, you know, have that type of verbiage with their, with their child and they end up being super successful. So I don't, you know, I'm not saying one, yeah. one way is right or wrong, but it, it's just different, unique. That's all. No, I thought it was cool. The, the, um, Will McGee, Annika's son, that was a, a cool little moment there. Um, it was again, really one, cool. One of the Agreed. reasons why, you know, I talked last week is why we play the game. Um, just to do kind of stuff like that. And it means more than some of the other bullshit that we talk about. So, yeah. 100%. Um, Another another topic. Bernhard Longer gets an asterisk for this win, right? Because he played from the up teams. He played at six thousand yards. 
He's too good to play from 6,000 yards. He's a little I can't too good. Even, I can't shoot what he shot from 6,000 yards. Like, I mean, the courses they play on the Champions Tour are 6,900. I mean, 68, 69. Yeah. He was like, wow, this I'm, I'm playing from the up tees in a professional event. Yeah. Anyway, I just had to mention that. Yeah, mm-hmm. 6,000. It was a little, not, uh, just a little too short. I mean, and Stricker. Who's also on the Champions Tour? Patrick Harrington, Duval, Stuart Sink, Justin Leonard, all played the same tees. They played the back tees as JT and Tiger. That's that doesn't, that's that doesn't seem right. I wonder seem- if I wonder if guys, if they try to move them up, they have the choice. Like, no, nah, I'm going to play. I'm going to play. Well, maybe you could be right there. But it should it's, be. It's, I think it's sh- yeah. It should be PGA Tour one T, Champions Tour one T, and then. They have it broken down by ages. So I have this thing. So the it was professionals 52 and under. Play the back tees. That's weird. And then it said family members. This is a now this is a a folded up piece of paper that Todd Lewis posted on like Friday afternoon of <laughs> that the media got Todd Lewis and the Todd channel. Lewis. And it said family members 16 to 52 are also playing the back tees. But John Daly's kid didn't play the back tees. Even though he's in college, so he should have played the back tees. With his speed, he's one of the fastest in the field. Yeah. Anyways, I just thought that was interesting. So well, the Coochies. Uh Kucher played the back tees and his son played one up. Oh, his son hits it further than, than Kucher. Yeah, but one up. <laughs> he just qualified for the sectional, the US Open Sectionals last year. Pretty unique move. Did you guys see that? Very see unique swing? Move. I mean yeah, that's that's a. I mean, again, for the listeners, it, go back and kind of look at his son's swing. But it's a good swing. Um, but an enormous amount of side bend through the ball, and I, like when I watched him swing it, I I I I immediately thought of Will Zalatoris. Yeah, like and, did, and, and, did you think that too? I'm like, this guy is going to hit it really solid. Until he blows out, you know, L three, L four, L five, and then he's got to get a, you know, a couple discs fused together, which which sucks. But I mean, Tiger was. If you go back and look at some of the early Tiger videos, he was kind of doing the same way, doing things the same way, but at like fifteen to twenty miles an hour faster. <laughs> and you're like, no wonder, you know. Yeah, that swing is not going to um, last. No. But it obviously worked out for Tiger. He won a bunch of majors early on, and he, you know, stockpiled all that cash, and here we are. But you know, for a young player coming up, you you watch a swing like that. You're like, ah. It's like, do we try to change that? Like, I don't want to change your swing, but like, I, I don't know. I mean, we'll look at Will Zalatoris. You know, mid twenties, late is it mid to late twenties? You know. Lower you lumbar. Guys like a walk, like a Joaquin Neiman has a lot of side bend. Yeah, how that's going to hold up? Mito Pereira. Mito Pereira, same, same, same teacher. Like, and I mean, it, it's it's great for. I mean, it creates some really good compression on the ball, good solid contact. Yep. But like, what's the longevity of angle? But. Yeah, I mean, there's some other players that hit it just as solid that don't do that, like a Tom Watson. Somebody like that. I mean, he's arguably one of the best mid to long air players on the planet, and he doesn't have a whole bunch of, yeah. you know, no. 
side bend. Like I, I, I just, I see these teachers, you know, again, Mike, you know, you can comment on this cause you're in that, that, that spectrum, but or in that space, but you see these teachers teaching, you know, a lot of this lay down and this shallowing and then the, tons of depth with the lower body and then the upper body really bending over and they just see a couple guys do it that have have uh some success and they're like okay well that's what i need to do and i'm like you know not everybody can do that like not everybody is not everyone's body is built to do that nor do you need to do that like correct yeah think, like about, think about like the 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 ball and the way that the club moves through the ball like i don't the ball doesn't give two shits how much spine angle you have. Like it just, <laughs> they just, right. the ball just cares how the club is working through the ball. How squarely is the club face through the ball? How long is it square? That's it. Like they don't care. Like if you have to, whatever you have to do to make it work through the ball squarely, you know, on a, on a good path, like that's it. The ball doesn't care. Like mm-hmm. I don't care how much side bend you have, and like, and how much <laughs> turn, how much push, how much ground force, you know, all the bullshit that everyone, all the terms everyone uses, and shallowing, you know, shallowing the club. I mean, look at Tiger Woods in in two thousand, and look at how much that club shallows. Go back and I don't. I challenge every listener to go back and look at nineteen ninety nine. Through two thousand and two, or actually, you could probably go to two thousand five, and look at how much that shaft lays down, and how much that shaft shallows on the downswing. And you tell me what you want to do with your golf swing, and what you need to do with your golf swing to hit it solid. Because that right there, and from nineteen ninety nine to two thousand and five. It was as good as anybody has ever hit it. It, was like seven, seven, it wasn't shallowing. It wasn't shallowing a whole heck of a lot. No, it wasn't. But he hit it super straight and super solid. You know? I'm trying to look up what, what how many majors he won in that time frame. A lot. Yeah, I mean, 99, uh, 3 in 2000, 2001, that's Five, then two in two thousand two. That was the that was the Hank Haney swing. No, that was, uh, that was Hank Haney didn't come till come till the tail end okay. of that. But okay, with with Butch Harmon, it was ninety seven, ninety nine, yeah, uh, two thousand three and two thousand ninety eight as well. He didn't win one ninety eight. I'm just saying, he, same, won, he had the same golf. Oh swing. yeah, 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 same yeah, same swing. golf swing. Um, but then two thousand one. Uh, the Masters, obviously, to win the the Slam, and then 2002, he won uh, twice. The first two, first two legs. So that's seven from ninety from ninety seven to 2002. He won eight. I'm sorry, eight majors. And then and then he won some with Hank Haney. I'm not a big fan of of I'm not a big fan of Hank Haney's teaching all. but i will say in terms of in terms of the shallowing the club and and all the things that we're seeing a lot in the last couple of years tiger that that part didn't change um and 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 i will say that that hasn't changed that part hasn't changed with his golf swing since he's been a professional it, he shallows the club the right amount but not not nearly as much as you see people teach. I mean, they're teaching they're teaching some crazy stuff with their 
wrist angles and laying the club down and like, okay, you really have to over rotate your hips to kind of bring the club back to square. I'm like, what, what, what normal person can swing like that? Like, like maybe you've got a small, a small um, sample of people, maybe from 15 to 22, 23, 24 that are flexible enough to, you know, turn their body and get that open and and with the club that shallow to be able to square it up. But like if you're if you're a 45 year old golfer, 55 year old golfer, you can't teach you can't teach these guys to do that. Like that's that's no ridiculous. It's you ridiculous. So I mean you see people, you know, get on they get on Instagram, they look, oh look at this guy. Look at how he swings this. I'm like, yeah, good luck. You can't do that. And you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that to play good golf. But anyway. So I'm digressing here. Um, yeah. How about a little PGA Tour news? A couple big mm. things, especially one real big thing. So it came out. Uh, Mark Schlebaugh. Uh, what's his other guy's name? Don Van Nata. The ESPN came out with the news that it is a deal is imminent between the PGA Tour and the Strategic Sports Group. We talked about the Strategic Sports Group last week. It's headed up by the group of the Fenway Sports Group, uh, Tom Henry and John War- uh, John Henry, Tom Warner, excuse me. And they've added other big-name owners, Arthur Blank from the Falcons, Tom Ricketts from the Cubs, Wick Grosbeck from the Boston Celtics. Uh, I forget his name, but the owner of uh, the Milwaukee uh, Brewers. Steve Cohen, who owns the Mets, some big, big billionaire sports franchise owners. And they are talking about a deal that is going to be worth three to three and a half billion dollars invested into the new for-profit PGA Tour enterprises. The PGA Tour, the article also said the PGA Tour is hoping to get the same kind of commitment, another three to three and a half billion from the Saudis and an estimated valuation of about 12 billion for the company, which would mean the PGA tour uh, would remain the majority owner of this new PGA tour enterprises. Allegedly Monahan and uh, Yasir uh, Al-Ramayan are supposed to be meeting this week. It's been pushed back twice now, I think. Uh, and they're supposed to be meeting face to face in person to discuss this week and ramp up those discussions with the PIF prior to this arbitrary December 31st deadline. So yeah, it's even this, said this, that, that this, deadline could get easily pushed back if easily. it's not in place. This deadline though is just the deadline is just to start the negotiations. This, the, the, the deadline is not to come up with a, the, any finality of, of what the, I thought it was a finality to come up with an agreement on what they're going to do. Really, the okay. Is, is okay. an arbitrary date, but it's, it's very arbitrary. Set, it's what was set early on to say we want to get it done by this date, but they've already come out and said that we have no problem pushing this back as negotiations. Uh, as long as negotiations are going well, there's no problem pushing it back. As long as they're still actively gotcha. talking, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think this is a a big win for the PGA Tour and good news. Um. I, I still go back to, unfortunately, I think that they have to involve PIF or we're going to have a fractured professional world of golf. And I agree. Best I, case scenario is a co-sanctioned tour. 
in my opinion. Like somehow, I'm not saying that every event has to be co-sanctioned, but to to do some type of event, some type of uh, agreement where we've got five to seven co-sanctioned events, that would be the best case scenario for everyone. Well, it's similar uh, to what John Rom said. Money. That's similar to what John Rom said. John Rom said that it would be. I do. I'll take that back. I, pro- I apologize. Not John Rom. Bryson DeChambeau. He came out and said, you know, in, in terms of what it might look for a pathway back, is to have a team format in the signature series events, to where you have the individual game. It's very. It's similar to live. I'm sure it would be 72 holes, but ultimately to where you have a. Um, involvement of both tours throughout the signature series events that they have. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you won't have the PGA tour and you won't have live. It would just say that during those signature series events, that ultimately you have the two tours play in the same place um, under the same format and a team, um, a team competition would be a part of that. Now, what we don't know is if there will be what the teams could potentially look like, from the PGA tour. And if that's going to be a, a, a part of the structure, because ultimately under his, and this is what he called blue sky theory or whatever he said. Um, but if that is even in talks to where, what, what would that even look like now, all of a sudden does that change up or all of a sudden now, do you have more PGA tour players decide to also play live? So that, that's where it gets a little murky, gets a little cloudy. Or are the lib teams already in place and that's what's going to stay? Because ultimately, if all of a sudden you have the availability and you have that partnership in place, do more players jump to live knowing that they can still, what I would assume, accrue official world golf ranking points and still play in PGA Tour events? Is this something where those players are now allowed to play the PGA Tour schedule outside of the lib events? You know, those are the big talking points and the big, big considerations that we have to take in place. Uh, or taking the con- big items that we have to take into consideration moving forward with this format and what that conjuncture and what that partnership could even look like. So and there's there's so many moving parts to it because there's, there's sponsors and there's TV deals and all this kind of shit. And I think it I think the whole thing's just got to be blown up and start from scratch, just flat out, just blow it up and start from scratch. Well, I don't disagree with that. I think the best way to do it. Let's say that this partnership takes place, right? Let's say that they, and we are, there's no talk other than Bryson DeChambeau saying that this is how he sees it working. Sure. So on the backside of it, let's just say that this is the route they go. So you have a live tour, you have a PGA tour, then you have the co-sanction, what was it? The, what's the signature signature events? Thank you. um, That are co-sanctioned. What does that look like? On the other events, do the PGA Tour guys that are PGA Tour guys now have to stay PGA Tour? Do the live guys have to stay live guys? Or well, then there's a requirement of like how many events because if there's 14 events in the live and then there's four majors, are these guys really going to play that many more events? No. You don't know. Well, the top the top two guys on the team might not, but you might see some guys like an Andy Ogletree or some of the lower end guys take the opportunity to go make some money. We don't know what that looks like. You could have guys playing 11 events on the PGA Tour, 14 events on Live Tour, um, and the co-sanctioned events counting for both, so they both reach their minimums. We don't know what that looks like at all. But I will say it does offer a unique perspective 
it does offer something that I I don't know that I wouldn't enjoy seeing. I think that I don't think you're totally wrong, Mike, where you could blow it up entirely and say, all right. You got to remember the DP World Tours involved in this too. Correct. Absolutely. And it could be a situation where they do blow it all up and say, all right, we're redrafting the entire live format. My only concern is that in doing so, and the reason why I don't think this would pass or why it might not under this circumstance, to say that live will redraft everyone. Everyone goes into a bucket except for team captains. And now you redraft everyone. Does all of a sudden I mean, it, I, get a bunch of other PJ Tour players? What I would also have an issue with half the live field being in a signature event because they don't belong there. They suck. But if, well, they would have to qualify to a certain circumstance. Like there needs to be some qualification method. I don't think that's ironed out like yet. Like Graham McDowell, like, sorry, like talking. you're you're worthless on the golf course. You don't get into a signature event just because Brooks Kepia assigned you to some made up contract during free agency. Like, don't disagree. Do the live teams get larger? Is there a bench situation where certain guys aren't in? Do they draft going into signature events out of eligible players? Um, there's 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 a lot there to unpack without question. Oh yeah, there's a million different a lot there to unpack. But it's not what Bryson said, and I'm not the biggest Bryson fan in the world, but what Bryson said and looking back at someone I'm like, all right, there is a path. I don't disagree. It, it, his his point of view wasn't totally skewed. It wasn't awful. It was more more or less saying this is an opportunity to move that direction. And anytime you can move the ball downfield in this, and even Bryson said, he goes, the ideal scenario here and what we want is to ultimately all play together again. That's where this has to lead. That's what we want as live golfers is we want to eventually get back to playing all together. So I do agree with that take on it. And I think ultimately there is some opportunity to where we could make this work. I think everyone wants to see this happen. The interesting part is to say, what does it look like between live and what does it look like between the PJ Tour? How do they operate together? Do they all play the same events? And is there a team format? Or do they all end up playing um, you know, different events, but they come together for a certain series, signature events, as we've said? Um, and what does that format look like? I mean, it's very, it's very interesting. Yeah, blow it up. Get rid of team golf. It sucks. It's stupid. I don't think it is. Put, put, one, it is. put one event in Saudi I mean, Arabia. I, think, I think it could be and... cool. I think it could be cool given the the right setting. Uh, I don't. I don't think the the live tour has has maybe. Uh, and I don't think the PGA tour is doing it right either. So yeah, I mean, maybe I not. Disagree. But I, but I think I think there there could be a format uh, where uh, that that could succeed. I think it, if it's done properly, and it, obviously we haven't seen. Anyone do that yet? But well, what do you do? We talked about this in the past. I think it's it, if if you can make it geographical and you can and you can you know put these teams together based on their location, and you can build a fan base uh, based on you know like I said like a, a, where they are in, in in the world or in the country. Obviously in the U.S., but maybe it could be European. It could be you know, South American, it can be African, you know, wherever you've got them, you know, if you can put a team together and you can build some fans based on a location, I think people can get behind it. And I think it would be, I think it could be beneficial if there's some structure and that's obviously the big, the big 
if right now is that we just haven't seen that structure and that um, organization, I guess, is the right word. We're still kind of like what we're, we don't even have a schedule for, for the live tour for 2024. So that, no, they that came out with a schedule. Yeah, you do. There's uh, an event right oh, down the street from my house at the Grove. Couple, a couple of TVDs okay. when, on there, but they when did that come out? That must've come out in the last couple of couple weeks, weeks ago. Okay. Last right after, right after Bruce Kepka bitched. Oh, then he, then well, they came and, out uh, on the schedule, but it, is that subject to changing? Like, obviously they've changed. There in were the past, a couple of TBDs. Yeah. Well, the so, other thing I think is unique is when you incorporate the cut format in it. And look, I'll be honest with you. I'd be good with it going the way of college golf. I I I love college golf. I think it's unique. But you put that cut in the middle, and all of a sudden, if your team doesn't have four guys that make the cut, well, the last two guys got to make it happen. Last four guys got to make it happen. Or last two or three, whatever it is. Um, I think that I think that provides a little bit of an interesting take. The other side of the way they've looked at it is that you know if there's not a cut and you've got four guys on the team, the guy who's in last place still benefits from playing well and playing hard on the weekend. He doesn't get to just go out there and carve it around quickly, post some hockey sticks, and get out of there with a couple grand in his pocket. So there are some unique sides on on both sides of it. But if you have a guy, the one thing I took away from it looking at it is that – we want to see everyone play harder. We want to see everyone try harder, especially for the the guys that are out there watching, the fans. So if you get out there early to an event on Sunday, and now you get to watch a guy truly go out and grind and try his ass off to, to play well and, and to shoot a good number, does this improve that? I don't know. Does it all of a sudden make it more interesting to watch early golf? Hey, his team's in contention, even though he played like ass the first two or three days. Now all of a sudden, this matters more. Does is does that is that taken into consideration? Again, I don't know. It's so early on, but I see some opportunities where this does benefit. We'll see. We'll see where it all goes. Hopefully, we have a little more clarity. If they are going to come together on a deal, you would think you'd have to come up with some of these details now. And the PIF's not going to say, you know, PIF's going to want to know what the hell is going on with Liv and Team Golf. And they're not just going to invest $3 billion into an enterprise that they don't know where their entity stands. So you would assume if they do come to an agreement here, let's just call it in the next month to six weeks, you know, by by February 1, do we have some clarity and details on what the hell is going to happen in 2025? But, man, I... I I don't want to be in that room trying to figure it out because there's a shit ton of questions and so many different moving parts and so many different parties to try to please, whether it's the tournament sponsors or the TV people or obviously the players. And now you got the DP World Tour that needs to be happy. The PJ Tour needs to be happy. These billionaire owners need to be happy. The Saudi Arabian government needs to be happy. Like, oh, good luck. Which leads me to my next question. Does Jay Monahan survive? You know, the details of his of his pay came out. Is is he the one? Is this a win for him? Um, with the SSG thoughts. So the numbers are the, the tax report came out for 2022 IRS filing. His total compensation was 18.6 million, up from 13.9 in 2021. Um, that's a $1.8 million base fee, 9.2 million in bonuses and incentives. And then um, 
7.4 million in non-cash benefits that Monahan will receive when he retires. Thoughts? My thought is that if you gave me that much to retire, I'd quit working. That's my initial thought. But on the backside yeah. of that, let's say Monahan does want to keep his spot. And I think he does. I don't think he wants to go out like this. I honestly think he has a big opportunity with rollback to push this the other direction. There's no manufacturer that has really come out and said that. And everything comes back to rollback with you, huh? No, no. <laughs> Listen to where I'm going. There, it, it's it's more realistic to look at what is the current landscape of golf and what are the most controversial topics and where where does he have the best opportunity to take a side on this? So let's say he has two things he can do. He can take the live deal and he can take rollback. If he takes those two and he makes it better, this is his opportunity to turn the tables on everyone and say, this is why I'm here. These are the most um, uh, groundbreaking without a better phrase, but but these are the most influential topics in the game of golf currently. If he's able to take a stance to where it actually betters the game of golf, let's just all of a sudden say, I mean, look at it this way from the rollback perspective, and I'm not trying to go down the rollback argument, Mike, it's just more of saying, looking at the, the amount of people that are against it and Monaghan decides to take that stand and say, we're not doing this as the PGA tour. There's no data that we've seen to where this benefits our players and it benefits the golfing public. So we have decided not to abide by this rule that's being set by the USGA. I think he gains a lot of respect from the public. And I think there's a lot of players that he gains the respect from to where they say, all right, he's got our back. He's listening. He's hearing what the public's saying. He's hearing what the tour players are saying. And we like that aspect of it because this was getting ready to be a massive change to the landscape of the golf community to where he goes, hey, this is what we're going to do. Now, on the backside of that, he brings a bunch of money into the PGA Tour. He's able to negotiate a very clear agreement between Live Golf and the PGA Tour, bringing in major sports figureheads that you've already named, Mike, with you know Arthur Blank and um, what's my name, John Henry Wick Goosebick. Uh, I don't know if you pronounce that correctly. Whatever, Grousebick, whatever. Um, if he's able to negotiate that properly. That goes down successfully. And he pushes back on rollback. I think all of a sudden the tides turn for him. I think it's an opportunity where he actually has, he, put it this way. I look at it, he has an out. But he well, has, sure. I mean, he also he doesn't have complete, like, complete power either. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. But he, he has a seat at the table and he has a voice. And if he can negotiate those two things well, I think he keeps his gig. I don't think it, I don't. The money at the end of the day, you look at the amount of money that these commissioners get paid. I mean, Roger Goodell's of like fifty million dollars. He's one of the highest paid. It's like seventy million, yeah. He's the highest paid person in the NFL. Seventy-five, I think. Yeah, highest paid person in the NFL. Never gotten behind a football. Never scored a touchdown. None of that. If Monahan is able, also to- the also the most popular sport in the in the world uh, right yeah. now. I mean, I would argue arguably yeah. with soccer. With soccer. Soccer is um, most popular, but in our country, football is the most. But popular. in our country, in terms yeah. of in terms of from a monetary standpoint, football, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, and it's a if, for profit. It's a for profit company, hundred percent. So if he's able to negotiate these waters, 
and do it to a point that it better meant it betters the game of golf. He refuses rollback. He negotiates a great partnership with the SSG group and Live Golf PIF. There is opportunity for him to turn the tides. There really is. And you got to think that that's weighing on his mind as well because he knows that he's under scrutiny right now. So if all of a sudden he's able to, like I said, negotiate a good partnership, negotiate a quality format, and also I think rollback is as big a part of that. I think the tides turn. I don't think the USGA can go through with rollback. And I think he has an opportunity now to make a statement, get out in front of it. We already know that the um, the vast majority of the golfing public and the professional uh, golfing will ultimately um, will ultimately give him a chance to move forward and keep his job. Sorry, my mic changed like twice during that. You're so, good. Okay. I hesitated twice because it popped up on my screen that my mic changed twice. So I apologize for any bad audio there. No, it's all good. I, I, I think that he's got an uphill battle right now. I think he is. I think he's missed the boat multiple times in the past three or four years. Um, I think one negotiating with the PIF, he's missed a bunch of opportunities to negotiate um, and to try to uh, rectify the 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 current state of of the. Of professional golf, um, he chose not to, to to talk to the PIF. He chose not to talk to Greg Norman. He chose not to negotiate in any way, and I think it's come back to to bite him. Um, and this is nothing against him as a person. I think he's a smart guy. I, I just think that the the circumstances, you know, he he did battle through through COVID when he, as a, as a commissioner. Um, the other thing that seems so strange to me, um, we had a commissioner who, who is, it was, was a, a, a very successful commissioner in Tim Fincham for 20 plus years. And not once did he reach out on record. Now, maybe he did privately, but not once on record, did he reach out to him, um, and ask for any any help or any advice, which I think is really strange. As your predecessor, yeah, you can't really say that because you don't really know. I don't. I don't know, but I, I do know that everyone else has said that he never reached out to him. So, if he if he did reach out to him, he has not made mention of it, and and has not said, "Hey, I reached out to Tim Fincham, and we've talked about this. We've gone over things, uh, and people have asked him if he has, and he's he has said no. So, but. If he has said no on record, then that means he probably hasn't reached out to him. Or if if whatever they did talk about, he doesn't want to bring it up in 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 the public spectrum. So I, I do think that's strange that he has not reached out to his predecessor in in a in a really uh, in a time of turmoil and a in a time of uncertainty on the PGA Tour. Uh, I just think it's it's really bizarre that he. I think he's a very prideful guy, and I think. That can go both ways. I mean, in, in a and one in one sense, it's it can be a great thing because you can ride on that. But and in, and in, in on the other end of that, you can you can you can be burned really quickly if you if you live and die by your your pride. And and I feel like he's maybe on the wrong side of that. And I feel like there's a lot of people who are asking for him his resignation at this point, as we've seen in the last day or two. Um, 
again, going back to the front uh, to the monetary side of things. And, um, you know, I, I'm not saying that the person in charge shouldn't get paid. I, I think that they should get paid. I think it's, I, I don't know if it's, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't. And it, I don't think it, uh, it is the blame of, of Jay Monahan, I think it's the system that was set up uh, prior to, and, and the, um, I guess the people who decide where that money should go. I mean, the fact that he made uh, an additional seven grand, uh, seven million, in a time where this 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 tour is about to could potentially fold, uh, while you have other players leaving the tour going to other subsidiary tours and you have other players complaining about transparency. It's like, wait a second with all this turmoil and you just made, you made a $7 million, uh, you had a $7 million increase. You know, wh- wh- what's going on here? What what are you doing for, uh, for, the, for the tour as a whole, for the players, for the organization? Um, it, it doesn't seem to add up. And I, and I think those, I think those those questions are valid. You know, well, I mean, two, I, two, two things. Uh, I don't know what I think on Jay Monahan, uh, whether he should keep his job or, or not. As far as his pay goes, you can't really blame anyone for what their pay is. No, I'm not blaming Jay Monahan for his pay. I, I haven't said that. Yeah, I'm not. It's, I'm it's not blaming Jay Monahan. Was... I'm blaming. I'm blaming the 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 people who allowed that to happen. Yeah, exactly. It's that, the board that comes yeah, up with it. And this goes back board. to Lynn Fincham and why we're kind of in this mess to begin with. Like the the $9.2 million in bonuses and incentives, a lot of that is driven from playing opportunities. I remember this being discussed years ago. The reason that we yeah. have 40-something events on the PGA Tour is because these commissioners over the years have been incentivized to add events, add playing opportunities, add spots for the mules of the PGA tour to play in the Barracuda and these stupid opposite field events. And so here we go with the mules again, like uh, they're just all, they're just all just puppets, huh? So Jay, I'm just, I'm just saying, but that's what, that's what, that's what he's been incentivized to do is to create opportunities for these people. And so create opportunities, but is he creating opportunities now, right now? But he, no, but that's what it was for 20, 30 years. But not not under his management, no. But that's but that's what's set up for him to create. And he just had a thirty percent pay increase when the tour was struggling and and players were I, I agree. at the brink of losing that's their that's job. Like that. Fault. I, I understand that, but you have to understand, like as an outsider looking in, like, hey, wait a second, you're you're getting a seven, eight, nine million dollar pay increase when you have other players that are you know players that are actually part of the tour I understand again i'm 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 a pro player and i've always said that but i also understand that you can't have a tour without people to organize things and i understand that so it's not it's not all or nothing like you can't have i agree i agree with that you can't have all people that organize and no players that there's no tour and you can't have all players with no organization there's no tour they have to work together but it seems like that balance skewed and the wrong direction at the wrong time and it's giving the wrong the perception to the public 
especially when we're especially when the tour is at at a at a in a position to where they they need all the help that they, that they can get and i, I just that the optics are bad oh the optics are terrible opinion. i i agree but again and he didn't he didn't come up with his own salary he doesn't come up with the incentives that no. were written the oversaturated I, I never said i'm blaming jay monahan i'm just saying that it doesn't look good and I, I'm saying that the way that they the way that they devise the how they pay the 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 you know the executive staff of the PGA Tour and the commissioner needs to be re, needs to be evaluated. And in the past, that staff or that the the executive power that that chooses that salary was was uh, not a uh, was not predominantly. Uh, favored in the players in the players eye it was sure. it was it was an executive staff it was a predominantly uh executive staff and less of players now it's it's well, shifted there was a board <clears throat> it was independent board members they're not they weren't staff the only uh, it, staff yeah. member is is monahan exactly but the board members were shifted to executive board yes. members not for players now with Tiger Woods coming in, now that has shifted to six to five. As as in the past, it was it was not that case. It was it was shifted to the executive staff or the executive board members had the upper hand, and now that has shifted to where it's it's balanced a little bit more in terms of um, the you know the players' favor. So in the past, yes, I'm not blaming Jay Monahan for taking that money. If I were in his position, I would take this the the money as well and say, "Sorry, guys, I hey, I fucked up. I'm yeah, I screwed we can't, it over." We can't, but we can't say but, yay for John Ron for taking this money. Oh, I would take it too. I would take it too. Well, if someone offered you this deal and you're Jay Monahan, I would take it. So, hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. I'm not, I'm not saying he shouldn't take it. I'm just saying that at, at that time, it's a little bit different because Jay Monahan is representing a tour. John yeah. Rom is representing himself. And John Rahm is going to yeah, do the, the best nine, thing for the, John Rahm, and Jay Monahan needs to do the best thing for the tour. And, and he would, and you, he, would, you would say he did for a while, especially for all these mules, because those nine point two million dollars was all these extra events. So if he doesn't get all these extra events on the calendar and overinflate and oversaturate the event, now the mules are playing for less money, less events, less FedEx Cup points. Yeah, but he also could have he could have nipped the bud immediately by opening conversation with I agree with that. Yeah. And he didn't do it. So why why are we rewarding a guy who uh, refused negotiation with another tour because he was so prideful in the fact that he thought he had he had a, 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 a product that was untouchable? Why are we rewarding this guy? Because he was unwilling to talk to another organization, and well, that's then essentially get rid of, then what get he rid did. Of him. It has nothing to do with his pay. You can't affect his pay with that. It's, it's a written contract. This is uh, how you, you get paid. You could so then, you then could fire, fire him and not yeah. pay him. Yeah, you could fire him and not pay him. Yeah, which is You're what not they should rewarding do. anyone. This is this is also a 2022 number. We're not. We haven't seen 2023. Who knows what that is? Sure. <laughs> Who probably knows very, what that is? I mean, we'll find similar, out. It could be even more. It could be 25 million that he made. I don't know. More. It probably is more, but which the is TV not great. That, that will look even worse. That will look even worse. And, and again, I, I, I just think there's there's got to be a balance, and I don't think that the I don't think the balance is correct right now. Um, and again, I'm not blaming Jay Monahan. I mean, I, there are certain things that that I think he he missed the boat on. Um, I'm not blaming him for taking the pay. 
because that, that's what's that was what was set in place and and it is what it is i think that he he didn't do a great job leading up to that um and he's benefiting from it which which sucks you know I, you know again we all have our opinions and we can we can we can give our our viewpoint on it and i think it um it sucks it's like looking at uh you know anyone upper management and 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 they take all the cake and and the 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 other people are not getting it you know and that's and that's fair like they i think it's he's in a position where he's that's what's set in stone and that's and he's abiding by the rules it's it's nothing he's not doing anything illegal um but it just looks bad that's all <laughs> i mean it just looks bad yeah the office are great but again he's not picking his own salary so if people understand that, then it's, you know, he also, he, you could also give him the reason the win for this massive new TV deal that he sold. Why they're also playing for all this much money. Like, yeah, I mean, you, you get, you get if, if you're only going to get negative, you're going to get, you can get the good stuff too. Right. Like, yeah. What, what, I mean, how much more is that? How much money did he bring to the table? I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's pretty large. Yeah. Hundreds of millions. More. Hundreds of millions, hundreds of millions more. Yeah, that he's brought to the table for for from here until when? I, I don't know. I don't have the TV contracts in front of me. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm just, I, I'm just again, if we're if we're gonna if we're gonna back Jay Monahan and government of the PGA Tour, like we've got to, you know, I, I again, I know you love the the you know look you know love the the big brother. You want to support them you know but that's i told fine. you i don't but, know if i if i like jay monahan or not i'm just trying to defend his side here so there's there's I, multiple I, viewpoints on this yeah i know and i mean that's fine but i you know i again it's it's i i think it's a fair assessment to say that there's a lot of people who don't necessarily agree with that i would say the majority probably don't agree with it um and and given the circumstance any any other business you know if the company doesn't do well if the company is struggling, why would you get a 30% pay increase? And I think that's fair for the players to question it, it especially in the, in the, in the light of the fact that they're, they're not getting any transparency. Then don't get mad at Jay Monahan. Get your mad at the people that gave him the raise. What's that? Don't get mad at Jay Monahan. Get mad at people that gave him the raise. It, oh, exactly. I mean, I, whatever you can call it, whatever you want. Yeah. Whoever, whoever, you know, dictated this raise. Yes. They're, they're the ones at fault. But like, we've got someone who has negotiated uh, with with other organizations and has not told anyone. So this is this is one of his faults. Not to, and he's admitted it. And negotiating with the PIF and not telling any one of the 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 player board members of what's going on until the day of. I would I would be pretty upset with that if I was if, oh, yeah, if I, I were I one of the five. With that. Well, if I were yeah. one of the four, but yet. I didn't, as a player uh, board member, I didn't get a raise, but here he is getting this this big raise, negotiating this contract. Well, the players with have someone. gotten raises, though. There's more. What's there's that? more money in the purse. There's more money in the purses. They have gotten a raise, but that doesn't directly affect everyone. No, no, no but that's but that's golf. That's that's that's. No, there's no I, contract. I agree with that. I don't purses. disagree with there's, what you're saying, Mike. His his goal is to increase the purses, which he has. I don't disagree with what you're saying, but at the same time, it's not fluid throughout all levels of the PGA Tour. I think that's the biggest miss 
where with most the majority of major sports, it is more fluid throughout the majority of the players or, or larger. Yeah, but that's a contracted sport with the with a collective bargaining agreement in a union. I don't. So I don't. Wildly different. Don't disagree with you. I wouldn't say it's wild, wildly different. I and I, I don't disagree, but I, I will say that Jay Monahan, and I'm not saying it's totally wrong. He has moved this as a business, which it is, but it doesn't necessarily always feel like, and I may be wrong, that it's in the best interest of the players with the moves that he's made. I'll agree with increasing the purchases or the purses does benefit the players. But on the backside of that, did it benefit the PGA Tour as a whole? Not just so I, I lean I lean on the side that they need to get rid of him mainly from a trust standpoint because he's lost the player's trust. I, I actually lean on the side that they need sure. to get rid of him. I, I just want to make sure we have all sides of the argument here. Because it's really easy to just to wail on Jay Monahan. It's really easy to just wail on him. And I'm not I haven't done that. I've not I don't, done I don't think so that. either. I think I think we're just we're just pinpointing and stating the obvious. Like we said, I'm not blaming Jay Monahan for taking the salary that he is has been that has been negotiated and that is set in place. Um I I blame the the board members and the and the uh the uh, I guess the election process or the approval process to get to that point, especially given the turmoil of the PGA Tour and the status of the PGA Tour and the competition with the the live and the pith like it, it it again it doesn't seem it doesn't seem right the optics seem seem bad like why are I we going to bonus I, why are we going to bonus um a commissioner who arguably is not doing a great job and the tour is is, is in a, a state of turmoil and could fold i mean the, the tour could essentially fold and be done well and, let's and let's every see player is, could go to the to the live tour Let's see what his 2023 numbers are because this again. Yeah, this is, no, this is 2020. This is 2022. So I'm assuming, obviously, that was negotiated. Whatever deals or incentives sure. were put in place were put in place in 2021, really before any of this came about, and nobody knew what was happening. Yeah, right. So, and they're swimming in legal fees the last year and a half, and. I don't know, maybe the bottom line affects his incentive. So maybe he'll actually make less because they made way less money because of all these damn um, legal fees that they've had to pay for the last year and a half. I, I don't know. Again, I think there's a lot of unknowns. Um, I don't know. The legal fees actually kind of coincide with with his bonus, which which that which that's what makes it even worse is that they were they're overlapping the legal fees into his bonus in turn in terms of when he got paid. That's that's the other part of it that where the logistics don't don't make sense, and that's what makes it even worse. Is that with all the legal fees legal fees going on, he still was able to get was was able to get that that big bonus. So again, twenty twenty three, a different year. We'll see what what comes of it, but um, yeah, the way that it was paid out in twenty twenty two doesn't look good, um, and you've got a lot of players unhappy with it i mean obviously i know that this was uh, something that we want to talk about victor hovland made some comments you know this week uh kind of similar to what we, we were just talking about um 
basically saying that he doesn't feel like the leadership with the PGA Tour uh, is is looking out for the players. It's nothing different than we've heard in the past. I don't I don't think Victor gave he didn't give any uh, insight, you know, any deep dive into anything that we haven't heard before. But it's just unique to hear Victor Hovland say something like that because he's very PC and he you know he doesn't really try to ruffle any feathers. He's pretty laid back. But for him to to give a detailed opinion on that was was kind of eye opening, in my opinion. I don't like the the line of that they don't look out for us. I I think you could disagree with the way they're looking out for the players. I mean, Jay Monahan was doing what he thought was in the best interest of the PGA Tour, which is in, for the benefit of the players. You can completely disagree, and I disagree with a lot of the way he went about that. Yeah. He was trying to, he did what he thought he could do and strong arm the players and threaten suspensions. And he thought Liv wasn't as a big deal as they were or weren't going to be taken as serious. And he's like, we can out, we can wait this out. I'm going to threaten these players so they don't go. And that's how we're going to save this PGA Tour, which is saving it for the players. So you can disagree with how he went about trying to save it for the players. But to say he doesn't have their back, I don't necessarily agree with that. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I would, I would disagree with that. Yeah, I would, I would say that I don't think that he had the players back. I think he had the PGA Tour, the organization. Uh, well, that's the, the players. Well, not necessarily. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of people in, in terms of you know the, the back office and and how they run the tour. I don't know if he necessarily was he was thinking about the players as much as he was the organization as a whole, which could be all the all the executive staff that, that that's part of the the BJ tour on the back end. I mean, again, I, you can you can argue that there's nothing saying that he his interests were his interests were in the players and not just maybe in his pocket. He knew he knew his bonus parameters and he was trying to find a way to make those happen. You know, I don't know. There's nothing saying otherwise. He was trying to save the PGA tour. So if if the PJ tour goes under, does that affect the players? I would say it does. Okay. Yeah, thank you. That's it. That's all I want to say. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, if the PJ tour goes under, then yeah. But it's very vague again, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it does affect them. Okay, but they're they're. If the tour goes under, but there's still a way for him to make his his cash, then he'll. I mean, I'm not saying that's what that was that was his incentive, but I don't know. The tour wasn't going to go over, or, or I'm sorry, go under in the next year. It wasn't going to. It wasn't going to dissipate in 2023. I'm not saying it wasn't dissipate in 2023, but I'm saying the longevity of the tour was under threat. And he did what he thought he was going to do to save the tour. Again, I don't agree with everything that he did, but to just say he doesn't have the players back, I, I, I disagree with it. Well, I I don't know. I'm just going off of what every fucking player has said on the PGA Tour. So, okay, okay. well, where there's the, smoke, the, there's the fire. Players, the so players aren't always right like, either. The players aren't always right either, and they don't know how to run a tour either. Okay. So. Do they not know how to run a tour? 
Does he know how to run a tour? There's certain guys that know how to run a tour. There, look, Jay. I gotta look. You're, I'm on your side here. Let me be very. I, I mean, I'm not saying that he's an idiot. He's been he's been with the PJ Tour for a long time, and he's been in the in the. But how many how many players in the last forty years have said Tim Fincham's an idiot? I don't trust him. How many? You give well, me. There was give nothing. Me. Nothing's ever like this has come about. Tim Fincham never dealt with anything. Tim Fincham was the he, commissioner he of, of the PGA Tour during the easiest time period ever. He never dealt with this sort of controversy, and I agree with Mike on that. And Jay, you know how hard not one hundred percent. I mean, Jay, you know how hard that is for me to say that I agree with Mike on something. I don't. Whatever. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I mean, no, no, I, I agree with I don't, you. I don't. I agree I just, with I'm you. not. I'm, I, I don't think that. Like, I, I again, I just keep going back to this. Like, where we're just, we're so adamant that like this guy has got the players, you know, interest at at the forefront, and I don't. I don't think he does. Like, I don't think he, he does. Just, I agree with you. Jay Monahan is, is is there to for Jay Monahan, and then hopefully the players do well too. Like. It's not, this is, if it, if it were all for the players, he'd be like, Hey man, you guys, let, let me find a way to, to make sure you guys get paid. And I'm not pro, pl- I am pro player, but I'm not You're like, very pl- I'm not pro player. A hundred percent. But, I'm, but I also too. understand that there, there's, a, there, there's an organizing side of this and you need people to organize a tour and he should be compensated for it. But if he's the highest paid person on this tour, when the tour is suffering, but he's not. He was he number two. He was. He, he was the highest paid. He was the highest paid player, or highest paid person in that whole organization. He, he, he just been number two on the money list. Scheffler did okay. out earn him, but at the same time, Jay, I agree with you. I agree with you. I am pro player as well, and I agree with you on the backside of that. Tim Fincham never had to go through this sort of turmoil. He never had to go this. Through he this had the easiest sort of road of anyone. He did. People were throwing money at the PGA Tour because of Tiger Woods. I don't disagree with that. Um, But no, Jay, I I agree with you 100%. Um, I don't think he necessarily has the player's best interest at heart. Um, He's in a very, very controversial situation right now where he could end up going down and, and losing everything he's built. And he could go down as someone that said he was one of the worst leaders in golf. And I feel like the same thing happens with the USGA. I feel like Mike Juan is doing the Mike Davis thing where Mike Davis said he wanted to outlaw the belly putter to put a stamp on what he was doing. I feel like Mike Juan is doing rollback to put a stamp on his reign as um, USGA president. On the back Tim Fincham, Tim Fincham took over in 1994, June 1st, 1994. Uh, Tiger Woods did not even hit the scene until end of 1996. So he had... Two almost three full years, or I'd say two and a half years of no Tiger Woods. Okay. And we're talking about middle of middle of the 1990s when golf was at the 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 lowest that it could possibly get. But he still so, never went through anything like this. He never went through a sovereign government trying to take over the, the, well, the professional Tim, Tim, Tim world of golf. Got made sure. Very easy by Tiger. Sure. Tim, Tim, but Tim, I'm also and then Tiger was and then Tim Finch was like, oh sweet, cool. Everyone wants to throw a bunch of money at us. Awesome. It took three years. But he but he also created the 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 absolute best pension plan of any major sport in the world. NFL, NBA, MLB, sure, sure. FIFA, you name it. I'm not it. disagreeing with this that. This is the best. Like, so, I, again, we can we can go 
argue this all, all day long, but like if you if you're gonna sit here and compare Tim Fincham to Jay Monahan, there, there's no I'm comparison. Not, I'm not comparing them at all. There's no comparison. So again, back to my original point. Here's Jay Monahan, a newbie, and now he's in a tough situation. Why would he not consult with someone who's been here for 20 plus years running an organization and and creating the wealth for for these players in terms of their pension plan that's greater than any other major sport? Why would you not consult that guy? Why would you not talk I, to him? Why I, would you not reach out to him? I agree with that. But the wealth came from Tiger. He might have come up with the plan, but the reason the plan has so much money is because of Tiger. Uh, I, well, Tiger didn't, didn't create the wealth. Yeah, Tim Fincham created the plan that that helped provide the wealth. But yeah, where's the Tiger money come from? The money the, came from the so, influx of Tiger from Tiger Woods. Uh, yeah, but the, but the, how to how to organize that wealth came from Tim Fincham. Yes, the he's plan the one who put from, that in place. Yeah, the plan came and from here, Fincham. Here the I am talking about Tiger. here I am talking about organization and, and and the government of the PJ Tour. I'm I'm backing Tim Fincham right yeah, here. I'm backing a player. The money came from Tiger Woods. The plan was set by Tim Fincham. But again, he never went through anything like this. The money for these numb nuts to to you talk about the mules. Okay, let's 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 have a conversation here. <sighs> okay. Okay. I mean, do you want to have a conversation or do you, do you not want to have a conversation? The money, you're talking about the money came from Tiger Woods. The, the, the notoriety and, and, and the publicity came from Tiger Woods, but that money was reorganized to all of the mules that you, you called them in the late nineties and two thousands and, and, and 2000 and teens because Tim Fincham reorganized this pension plan to make it, a, a lucrative uh, payout for these guys who you never see every day. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest organizers uh, of any major sport that there ever was. Why would you not reach out to this guy and and, and get some sure and I'll get some that. insight in ter terms of how to, how to handle this? Okay. Okay. No, I think ultimately it's very tough to do so because it's a there's an egotistical aspect to it, and I think Tim, I think um, um, Jay Monahan is very egotistical. And he doesn't think he needs help. He they he they needs all help. are. They're all egotistical. All of them. Agreed. Agreed. A hundred percent. Anyone that's made it that far in that sort of format with that amount of income is egotistical. I don't disagree with that at yeah, all. They all are. But it doesn't I make do him any different like, than anyone else. No, it does. It does make them different because the ones that are humble are the ones that are the biggest successors and the biggest um, guys that I, best way to say this, the ones that are the most successful are the ones that are the most humble. They don't mind taking advice from the outside. They don't mind looking at what the greater good entails. Uh, that's why I have such a problem with the USGA because I feel like all of the past presidents of the USGA are so egotistical that they have such a, a an agenda to leave their mark on the game of golf that they do it without taking into consideration what's best for the greater good. And I think it's the same thing we see out of Jay Monahan. And ultimately, looking back and saying, I'm making decisions based off of the players. He views this too much as a business. The best companies in the world, the best companies in the world, when you talk to them, you talk to their employees, they say, this feels like a family environment. I am heard. I am listened to. I have an opinion that gets uh, that gets heard. 
that is not what it feels like at the PGA Tour currently. That's not what it feels like at the USGA currently. And the game of golf is in a very dire state right this second and in a very transitional point to where we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what the landscape is going to look like over the next few years. We don't know what the live golf merger is going to look like over the next few years. We don't know what this rollback is going to do to golf in the next few years. It's a very worrisome point for guys that are in the golf industry, just like you and me, Mike. So when it boils down to it, and that was my. And and I agree with almost everything you just said. Pretty much everything you just said, I I agree with. I, I, I think you do. I think you do because it's a very broad stroke, but at the same time, I think it, I think it hits home. So. What I was trying to say is that I I didn't say as the dust settles. So I was working through that. But beyond that, we have an opportunity here. Jay Monahan has an opportunity here to bring golf together. It is very uncertain what he's going to do with it. Very uncertain. I think over but the again, it's not years, his ultimate decision, especially now that the players have control. The players have to decide. Jay Monahan could come to them with xyz plan but if they don't like it that's up to it's in their hands now but it's up to him to craft that agreement sure and you could i would honestly you could give him you could give him credit for the ssg because i guarantee you that was all him he used to work for fenway sports group but if he's not able to craft an agreement that works for both sides it'll never work so that's more of what i'm looking at say yeah it is up to the players but if he doesn't present them with an agreement that benefits them then he's failed at his job he's lost his opportunity and Again, I, I, I said it on January or sorry, June, whatever, when we came back from um, after the, the show after the agreement came out. The, I, I say agreement. It wasn't even an agreement back in the summer. I said he should have been fired. I, I At this point now, if you put a gun to my head, I'd say he shouldn't be fired. I, I just disagree with some of the argument points of why. No, I, I, I just think ultimately, and as Jay has already articulated, we need a leader in place that puts the players first. When you put the players first, you're able to generate a universal feeling of family. That's not what we have currently. We have too much division in this sport. Jay Monahan has his last dish effort to create a cohesive environment between live between the PGA Tour and between the USGA. As I've already articulated on this podcast, rollback and the live partnership are the two most influential things that can happen in the game over the next six months. If he's able to navigate those waters correctly, put the players first, he may be able to gain back the public's trust. Right now, he does not have it. I'm not sure if just putting the players first gets the fan back. I think it's got to be also the product of the PGA Tour. They have to work with the TV executives to get the product that they show on TV better. They need to think about the fans more, maybe. Maybe the fans need to be number one. Because guess what? You can think about the players all you want. If the fans don't watch it on TV, then bye bye big bonuses. bye bye big purses. bye bye I don't disagree with that. I would agree with that, but, but I don't. No, I don't no, think he's. I, I, I don't like think I said, that's at the top of his list. No, it's either. definitely not. No, Jay, Absolutely, what, it's yeah. not on the. What I would say, what it's I would not say on the top of I any of their lists. Look, that's my I, complaint. It's not on top of any of their lists. I, I would. I would. I agree with everything you guys just said, but 
Jay doesn't get judged by the fans. He gets judged by the players and the executives. If he's able to nav- if he's able to navigate the waters correctly over these next two massive decisions, he may be able to gain the players' respect back. And if he gains the players' respect back, ultimately that will filter down to the fans. No, I don't think it will. You're not guaranteed that. So you tell me if that if Jay they're just they're worried to, about getting their making their their pockets fat and getting reimbursed oh. for not going to live. They're not worried about the fan. I, I agree. I agree. But at the same time, if he's able to navigate these waters correctly with the with the players throughout the the live merger and rollback merger, and he answers to the public, he answers to the public with what they want to see. He will start to gain back his respect and trust. Yeah, again, I would fire him. I would blow the whole thing up. Start from scratch. Who do you bring in? I don't know. I don't know who the fuck would want the job, in all honesty. Because it's an utter shit show. I mean, not like I would know. Not like I would know who a good commissioner or executive would be. I, I don't. Well, the scary part is that you bring in someone else that's totally business mind. Totally a business mind. And they just. I think it's got to be a TV exec. I Give me a TV exec. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily Give someone who can, agree with who, that. Who but... can put together a, a product. This is entertainment. Like that I think, people want I think like Adam, like Adam Silver with the NBA is fantastic at this. I think David Stern was good at the NBA is good at putting out a good TV product, something to fans. They just came out with this in-season tournament, which was been, has been a huge success. I haven't watched a bunch of it, but I don't watch much NBA basketball. But for NBA fans, it's been a huge success. But give me a TV executive that understands entertainment and value and what we're watching to get the fan interested. If, if that's, I don't know who that person is. I can't give you a name, but that's who I would want. I and would then make and then make that. his right hand man Joe Ogilvy, a former player. Yeah, I would want a player in control and a TV exec number two, vice president. That's what I would want. I would want someone that takes the players, a former player. And I won't name any in in particular human being, but I would rather have a former player in control and then take a TV exec number two that can navigate the business waters, can navigate the agreements, can navigate the partnerships that it takes to make it successful financially. Because the reason Jay Monahan's in this position is because from all accounts, he is an unbelievable salesman, right? And he has. He has increased purses. He has sold fucking sales. I don't know how the hell they've been selling these damn sponsorships to these tournaments over all these years. I'm not sure what these companies get for the $25 million that they put up for some of these big signature events. He's, he's sold the TV executives to these bigger contracts. It's just, it was $300 million more in the TV contract. I don't know how mm-hmm. he sells them on that. Because the product still sucks. Because the product still sucks. So I will say Jay Monahan's a hell of a salesman, but that's always kind of what a lot of these positions go to is salesmen because it's about ad dollars and sponsors and TV deals. Right. I love your sales guys. So no offense, McLean. Um, (laughs) So that, that's what they just see dollar signs and who's, who's going to go do it. I'm going to get a salesman to go do it and sell big deals. Um, But again, it, it, the product's been suffering for years before live before any of this, the the product's been been suffering. You know, so we need someone who understands entertainment and product. And yes, think about the players, but don't just think about the players because they're just going to worry about their pocketbooks. 
got to be an arbitrary group there. And, and, and like you said, McLean, I think, you know, maybe that's the, that's the golden ticket is to find somebody in the entertainment business and the, and the TV side, the production side that can say, this is going to work. This is not going to work. And then you backfill that with, you know, maybe a member from the, you know, PJ tour, the organization from the executive staff. Uh, and, and then you have a player board and you backfill that, um, you know, down the line. And then, then you can come up with a, maybe a good action plan because in the, in the end of the day, like we've always said, you know, you know, professional golf isn't it, it like you said, Mike, is it's 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 the entertainment business. I mean, it's a different type of entertainment business. It's not movies and and TV shows, but it's it's TV. Like, and if you don't like to be on TV and you don't if people don't want to watch you, then you don't have a job. And execs, you don't have a job. So they both coincide. I mean, like I've mentioned earlier. I, I'm on the player side, but I also understand the exec side. And I, and I know that they, you have to have both. You can't have one without the other. If you have only players, then you don't have any, you don't have any bright minds to, to organize all those egos. And, and, and on this, on the same side, if you just have execs and you don't have the talent, then no one wants to watch it. You know, it doesn't matter how good you, you are at producing and creating this, this great product. But if you don't have the players, you don't have the talent, then no one's going to watch. So you have, to, they have to work together and, and maybe that that's, that will be facilitated by someone in, and the entertainment business, you know, and, and, and the production side of things that can look at it and say, Hey, this is what we need. This is what people want to watch. How do we fill, how do we backfill those positions? Um, and, you know, I don't know, maybe that even changes the the qualifications to get on the PJ tour. You know, I don't know. I, I know that's pretty forward thinking, but like, yeah, I mean, it sounds yeah, crazy. The, player, the players to think have that to there was some type of a uh, you know audition to get on the PJ tour outside of just how you play. You know, I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but you you look at something like the big break that was that was on um, the Golf Channel, and I know this is kind of far fetched, but they have they had pods for who would you know, for different roles. It, it was like, it was casting a show, you know, a uh, granted there was only 12 people on the show, but they're like, Hey, this is, we've got six males, six females. We need, we need this kind of, um, <clears throat> this outlandish, you know, male that has kind of a tattered background that it's back into the game. And we have this person who's like the all American golfer that's, you know, has, that has you. worked their way up all the way through and they, they're the home run, the can't miss kid and vice, vice for you know, all the way down on both sides, men and women, but you have this cast. So, I mean, is there, is there something to be said for something like that in the golf world? You know, I, I don't think it needs to get that specific, but no, if, no. if you put a, if you put, I mean, that's what, that's why we love golf is because it's not that, but if, if there's a way to shape that a little bit and mold that a little bit, I don't know. That would take somebody um, on the production side to be able to look at that and say, "Hey, this is what we need for people to watch the game," you know. And and I don't know if that just means shaping the way that we uh, portray the players. Or and I've always said in the past, like, can we can we talk more about the players? Who are they? What what are what is their background like? You know, I want to know more about the player when that player's in, you know, 20th place trying to win their first PJ Tour event. 
you know, I want more stories about who they are, like have those things ready to go. And we, we don't have those. Um, we have the same old stories from Rory and Scotty and Dustin, because they're, I say Dustin now that he's not on the PJ tour anymore, but the guys that are at the top of the list, we have these stories because they're at the top and it's easy to do stories on those guys, but it's hard to do stories on the guy who's 50th place. Um, and yeah, are they going to, the fans want to see the top guys anyways, they want to see the top guys, but when I'm watching and, and all of a sudden here's a, there's a guy in, that's in contention. I was like, who is this guy? I've never heard of this guy. What's his story? Like, we got to have something. We got to have some information on this guy, you know, and, and guy or girl, whether it's LPJ tour, or PJ tour, we got to have some story. Like, give me a little background, you know? And if you qualify for the PJ tour, maybe that's mandatory. You go out and you do three days of filming and, and you get to know this person. You have this, this stuff ready to go. I mean, it's a production. You know, yeah, I mean, I think they're relying too much on just the entertainment of the golf, which, as we all know, is is it's slow. And I mean, it's hard to to pull people in. You know, we watch football. We know exactly what's going to happen every minute, every 10 seconds, because everyone knows the game. Um, the same thing with basketball. And, you know, that's why baseball struggles, because it's so slow. Um and same thing with soccer in the U.S. It's so slow. There's only you may have a game where you, it's zero zero, and people are like, "Oh, this is boring nil, as hell." Nil. nil nil, you know. So, <laughs> I mean, that's that's the that's the problem with it. So, how can we make the 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 game of golf, uh, the professional game of golf, more entertaining? And the best way I f- feel like is to know the characters of the play. Who are they? What are they doing? What's their backstory? You know, how can I how can I latch on to this player who's in 20th place trying to win their first event because their you know their mother passed away from you know some disease and they have you know what what's the struggle what where's the path you know that's all I think well that's maybe a TV, if it's a TV executive that's the commissioner maybe they can work with the TV network since they understand TV yeah a lot better and maybe figure out how do we eliminate some of the, some of the over you know, the, the this heavy commercial load and can we get advertisements on the screen? I don't care. Put a fucking advertisement in the corner of the screen and just rotate it every 30 seconds. I don't care. Yeah. If we just can see going. less commercials and I can see more golf, then just yeah. keep it going. Like I soccer. Soccer's a great example. Now with playing soccer through. doesn't hold on one second, one point point. Soccer's figured it out. Soccer's the biggest sport in the world. It's shown here in America. There's no commercials except for halftime, right? Because it's 45 minutes of continuous play. They don't stop and go to commercial. They don't take commercial breaks. They've somehow figured out to have a big TV product and make a bunch of money. How come we can't figure this out in golf? Speaking of, we've got a change in the booth. This upcoming Azinger's out, Kevin Kisner's in, or or for a preliminary. Yeah, two stints to see how it goes. How do you feel about how do you feel about Kevin Kisner coming in the booth? So I'm excited to see Kiss. I think he'll bring a unique perspective. I also think that there's a good chance that he gets censored quickly and he gets, he doesn't make it through the first the first round of the first event. That was my initial thought. I was like, there's no way he makes it through a broadcast for four rounds and doesn't doesn't get bleeped out. Yeah. That's I, just I his nature. It could be entertaining though. The podcast? What's that? that? Is he allowed to drink during the the? Sorry, not podcast, but is he allowed the to broadcast during the uh, broadcast? <laughs> I highly doubt it. I would imagine no, but you never know. I don't know what exceptions they'll make for him. But I mean, I uh, like 
I like Kisner and all. I, I don't know. Like I like him in small doses when I see clips at a press conference, right? I don't know if I'm going to like him watching a four-hour tele. Not like I'm going to sit down for four straight hours. But if I were to put on, he's doing the Sunday. Like, let's say he gets the job with NBC and he's doing Sunday of the U.S. Open. I got to listen to him for four or five hours on the final round coverage. I don't know. Like, is he going to be insightful much. or is he just going to try to be funny and witty and make jokes? Like, I, I do want like some like legit like insight and information. And I think that's good for a lot of the public, too, that doesn't know the game maybe as well as the three of us. Like, you got to give them something. It just can't be Charles Barkley. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it can't, no, it just can't be Charles Barkley in the match the whole time. Like, I, I agree. I agree. You, you've you got to, you know. You've got to blend the, that I, line. I, I, uh, I always go back to, like, you know, Tony Romo. And I know that, you know. you know, some people may or may not like him. But for the most part, the ratings are have been have been – Pretty good for for Tony Romo, one because he's a past quarterback, successful quarterback. You know, ten years in the NFL with the Dallas Cowboys, and he he was a good quarterback, so he knows what's going on, um, and he's very insightful in terms of the situ you know situational awareness. He can tell the audience what's going on, what should this quarterback be thinking during this situation, and he's a little goofy and he says some things that maybe are off color. I think people laugh but, about him. I, but the main point, I think why people like him is not because he's funny. It's yeah. because he's giving insight that you would not normally hear from an analyst. And I think that's where if Kevin Kisner can give us some insight uh, in terms of what he. Gap. Yeah. Bridge the gap. If you can be a little funny, that's great. But the main thing should be. What is this guy thinking? Do you know this player? Like, and that's what's cool with they, they keep switching these these commentators. I think they call him analyst. You know, he's an analyst. He's not a commentator. He's not a host. He's an analyst because he's given he's analyzing the players and their thought process. So if he knows the player and is like, hey, I talked to Tiger yesterday on the range when we played together two years ago. I noticed he was doing this, like little tidbits that that he can call out that we would normally as an audience or a fan, not normally see that's what makes it entertaining. In my opinion, like I want to hear something that I wouldn't normally hear. I don't want to hear a comedian. Like if I want to do that, I would go listen to, to, you know, Gary McCord or, or, uh, Jeez, what's Faraday. the guy? Faraday. From the David CW. Faraday. It wasn't the Faraday on Live. Yeah, who went to who went to the Live tour, which, you know, it is what it is. I mean, he was a pretty funny guy, but not, but like you wouldn't, like you, you wanted, you would laugh, you would chuckle a couple of times during the round, but you you didn't get any, you wouldn't get anything that was, you know, you know, really unique. You know, you weren't getting any information that was uh, specific. Yeah, that, that's, you, you hit it with Tony Romo. That's what I was going to say. The reason he's successful not because he's funny is because he's giving you legit insight that you've never heard before. Right? I, I love that's, it. That's why I, I didn't it. like Azinger because he was just giving you this cookie cutter bullshit and same it was old the same bullshit. thing over and over and over again. And it's like, okay, I've heard this before. Like, thanks. Yeah. Got it, Captain Obvious. Like, yeah. I mean, and you would, I mean, you go down the list, you like Chris Collinsworth, Troy Aikman. I mean, some of the, the people would argue like they're, they're, they've been in the business long enough. They understand how to fill just water fill space. Down. Yeah. They, they know how to fill dead air and to not have, you know, any silence, but like, are you really giving me anything? Like, I'm not getting anything from that. Like what, what, what am I learning about the game 
from from you giving your your broadcast. Nothing. So well, and that's it's like ah, oh, it's kind of like just dead noise. That's why I was excited about the 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 other name that got leaked before the Kisner name was Jeff Ogilvy. Mm-hmm. Who I'm a huge Jack Ogilvy fan. I've heard him a, a good handful of times in other podcast interviews, and I think he is tremendously insightful. Mm-hmm. I think he gives you a lot of answers that you would. They're not cookie cutter. They're not run of the mill answers on things. He's very thoughtful. He also understands architecture because he's now a big architecture buff and is redoing golf courses. Hell, he's he's tore up and he's completely redoing Medina in Chicago. And so he understands that how the courses are supposed to play and this. And I, I think he just grasps a little bit more. I think he's just a, a wildly intelligent, um, you know, mind in in the world of golf. And so I would love it if if Ogilvy got it. I, I still don't know if he would really want it. I don't know if that was just that they're talking and maybe looking or that's just someone who NBC is trying to target. But. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they even maybe it doesn't have to be a single person. Maybe it's Kevin Kisner half the time and Jeff Ogilvy half the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that could be that could be fresh, something different. So neither of them out because Kisner's still playing, so he doesn't have to commit to a full season of not like NBC has the full slate anyways. They already have half with with CBS. But you know, if Kisner does some when he's not playing and Ogilvy does some when he's in the states, not traveling around the world, you know, designing courses. Maybe they can work it out that way, or maybe throw in Paul McGinley. I don't care. Give me a fresh voice every few weeks. It doesn't have to be the same person over and over and over again. Yeah, I think it. I think it just comes down to like we were like we were talking about. We we want to we want to learn about the players, and we want to get some insight on the players. We want to get some insight on the strategy, and that's where the analyst comes into play. Hey, do I know this player? Do I have an experience with this player? Um, what are they thinking? What should they be thinking? Yeah, you know, that's what we want to hear. Have I hit this shot on this golf course before? Like, yeah, like, oh, I've, I, I, I was there, and it, I will say there, you know, some of the analysts are pretty good with that. I, Johnny Miller was really good about getting on the golf course. I know he's, he's kind of an old school guy, but he was good about getting on the golf course at least the last couple of holes, hitting shots, watching the, you know, checking pin placements. Um, I but even in cool. like competition, if you get guys that are closer to the, this age where, hey, I played this event two years ago yeah, and this 100%. drive was always kind of hard for me, whatever, yeah. that kind of stuff. Like, And I think that's that's where it's, it becomes relative to keeping a younger a younger group in, in the booth as an analyst. Like, like I said, one, you have a connection with the players. You know the players. You've played the golf courses. You know what they – you know, given the current you know circumstances with clubs and equipment, you know what they should be thinking, what they're trying to do, what they're trying, what shot they're trying to play. Again, that as a as a as a listener, you you want your analyst to be relevant. And if you're a you know Paul Azinger, you're a sixty year old guy who's been detached from professional golf for twenty years, then it's like ah, you're not really relevant. Like I'm hearing the same stuff that you talked about 20 years ago and now granted he hasn't been doing it that long but but he hasn't been he hasn't been playing it's been 20 years since he's really been playing competitively and it just you you're you're disconnected you know yeah um and and i'm sure there's going to come a time where you know tony romo is not going to be relevant um you know, in, in 10 years, he's, you know, the game may change and the strategy may change and what he's thinking should be happening is not happening anymore. So I think it's in the broadcast, uh, their best interest to bring, 
these young guys that are relevant that really can't compete. And it's like, hey, Kevin, I know you're 40 years old. Man, you're not competing really on the tour. You're not really making a whole lot of money. I'll give you X, Y, and Z to come in the booth guaranteed. And you don't have to go out there and play golf, you know, and train. Your and face off. You can come in Wednesday night and we'll brief you, you know, as they do. You'll have your notes. We'll give you we'll give you the notes. You do your research, but he probably knows on, the course already. Knows the course already. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you yeah. work, you know, Wednesday through Sunday. You can play in a handful of events because he has all these yeah. 18 different exemptions he could use, probably his past winner and career money list and yeah. You know, pro am winners. Who the fuck knows some of these exemptions? But which which they want. They want the guys to play a couple events a year to stay connected with the players. To yeah, you know, and the and the players want to. They you know, you know, egotistically, the the these guys want to play with their analysts. They want to get out and play a practice round because they want to be relevant. They all do because it's it's a opportunity for them to be in the in the mix. Uh, hey, I want Kevin Kisner to, you know, if I'm playing well, I want him to bring my name up because there's an opportunity for marketing dollars if I do play well because Kevin kept bringing me up in three events in a row because we're buddies and we play every, you know, practice round every other event. They they want to do that. That's a good, that's what they want. You know, like I said, they're they're all, you know, they're all individuals. They all have a, you know, sense of... <laughs> There's there's a little bit of uh, egotistical you know tendencies there where they they want to look out for themselves so yeah. that would be good to have a, a young guy that's relevant. I, it could be fun. I think it'd be fun to have Kisner in there. I mean, he's a he's a little outspoken at times, but um, which is fine. Which is you know could be good. So, gents, we've hit the two hour mark. Wow, that's uh, awesome! Real quick. Last, last take. This deserves our time. Uh, no, you guys know no, the Hayden Springer story. No, no one's listening this far into the podcast, but you can say this, or we can wait till the next episode. No, this comes out of this week. I know. I go ahead. And, I just want to go ahead and say it real quick. Okay. We'll, we'll we'll keep it short and sweet. But on the backside of it, do you guys know the Hayden Springer story? I do. Hayden Springer got his card this week. This is something that's tough to keep it together as a parent. I think all you guys would understand this. Mike, it sounds like you already know the story. So um, you'll understand why this is something that's very emotional to talk about. Um, But on the backside of that, um, Hayden Springer got his card this week. He's someone who I am now a massive fan of. He had to go through one of the worst things you could ever go through as a parent. He lost his daughter. At the age of three, mm. she was diagnosed last month. Last month, she was diagnosed prenatal with trisomy eighteen, and I, I may not have pronounced that correctly. I don't know what exactly what that disease is, but it does say it's a severe developmental disorder. She wasn't expected to ever make it out of the hospital or live longer than a couple of weeks. She lived three years. Um, she had multiple heart surgeries. And spent months at a time in the hospital. Hayden Springer lost his daughter last month and was able to go out there and get his card this week. Mm. 
without going further in depth, because I know that I will start getting emotional talking about this. Um, and all I know this affects all three of us very similarly as parents. One of the hardest things to talk about. And a lot of people, until you become a parent, you don't understand how much stories like this really affect you because you can see this happening inside of your own household. I am now one of the biggest Hayden Springer fans that there is. I want this guy to go out there and light it up in memory of his daughter, Sage, who tragically lost her life a month ago after dealing with an awful disease. The fact that he was able to go out there and get his card after dealing with so much tragedy is an amazing story. Just an amazing story. So whenever you sit down tonight, put your head on your pillow, think about Hayden Springer. Think about what his family's been through. Think about how lucky we are that all three of us have all of our kids home and healthy. Mm. Because this is something that none of us can truly fathom. And coming up on the Christmas holiday, the fact that all three of us get to have all of our three, all of our kids um, home and healthy with us and knowing that Hayden does not have his daughter Sage with him for this Christmas holiday, but he does have a PGA tour card. Um, let that hit home. Because yeah. much, we talk about all of the items that happen in the world of golf. This is one of those stories that goes well beyond that. And we need to yeah. show, we need to show our gratitude for how lucky we are. And ultimately just, you know, when you look at the scoreboards next year, make sure to find out where Hayden Springer is. Let's all, let's all try and coach him up. Let's all try to bring his family up and hopefully watch him go on to a very prosperous career for his family, because what he's going through right now is more tragic than anything. I, any of us three have ever faced. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know this guy at all, but uh, I'll be pulling for him for sure. Yeah, well said. I, I started to watch a video interview of him and his wife. Um, I had heard the story, I guess it was yesterday morning before the final round. And then I was, I just actually had to turn it off. It was like a three minute video that I got like, well, maybe a minute and a half in. And I just, I had to turn it off. Um, so you've got girls, Mike. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be no. girls. I mean, it doesn't matter. Um, no, no, no. But, kids is but kids, but you, you get it. You get um, it. So, yeah, it's him and his wife, man, they held it together. The, the part that I saw, they were doing a tremendous job. And I, and I don't know how they did. I don't so, know how they did because I couldn't. I couldn't. I, I, but, I get emotional. I get emotional thinking about their predicament. And it's not my predicament. And it's one of those things, man. You know, we, we love to argue, talk golf, and have a good time here on this podcast. But this is one of those stories where we all need to take a step back and realize how lucky we are. I agree. Yeah. Amen. You're here. Well, we won't get back together before the Christmas holiday. Hope everyone has a Merry Christmas. Uh, I will go into this Christmas anti-rollback. <laughs> God, you should have stopped. You should have I, stopped talking. I look, I look forward. <laughs> It would have been a high together. note. You could have just I, on a, you know. I, it was a high note. It's still a high note. 
I look forward to getting back together with you gentlemen after the holiday. Wish nothing but the best for you and your families. Two of my closest friends in the absolute world. And uh, I hope you guys have a great, great holiday season. Cheers. Cheers, boys. Cheers.